Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get to sit down and have a conversation with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversations. Uh, this is your host, Will Van. I forgot to introduce myself last time, so I'm okay. going to do it again this time. Um, but here with me is my pastor, Eric Zellner. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good. I didn't know that you'd forgotten to introduce yourself. That's funny. I actually hope I did forget now because everyone listened to the last one, and if I did introduce myself, that's not the <laughs> smartest thing I've done yet. Um, but we're continuing our series on false gospels. More specifically, again, false gospels we see and hear in Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, or I've heard before. Um, last week, uh, or I guess two weeks ago, we did a For God and Country false gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, and this week we're doing a Can Doctrine Be Dangerous? or Doctrine is Dangerous mm-hmm. false gospel. Sure. Um, can you explain what that means and why this can be a false gospel? Yeah. I, you know, I think we, as we were brainstorming about some various things that we hear that can be problematic, I, when you think about this as a false gospel, the reason that I would draw that conclusion is, is, um, Maybe two pronged. Number one, it's it it it's based on the presumption um, that the person who's saying that is making the presumption that you personally have a set of doctrines and those doctrines are dangerous. Uh, because uh, as you mentioned offline, even the concept of of stating that doctrine is dangerous is in itself a it's a it's a doctrine. It's a dogmatic statement. Um, it's a it's an absolute. And so you have to begin there and recognize, okay, well, you're actually presuming that I've got some doctrines that you find dangerous. The other thing that is problematic with this, and this is where it hinges on, in my opinion, it it can disrupt the whole of the gospel. Um, if we presume then that doctrines are separated somehow from the actual scripture itself, then we're presuming that you've just got some thoughts and ideas, and that this now moves it from the from the place of being objective, as in it's actually written in the Bible, to the place of being subjective. Um, And the entire Bible is doctrine. And so for us to say that doctrine is dangerous as a big, fat, blanket statement is to say, well, then the whole Bible is dangerous, Uh, wherein the Bible is the place wherein we find Christ crucified for sinners. We find Jesus as the only way of salvation. We find a blood payment, uh, a sacrifice of Christ to atone for my sins. Uh, we find that I really am a sinner and, and cannot save myself. We find all these things which are true, and they are doctrines. And so we it, it is a far step uh, to say that doctrine is dangerous because it can immediately then just— uh, and, and I think it probably sounds um, maybe unifying to say such a thing— um, and what, but it, but it's really a, a quick blanket statement that has the potential of of wiping out the whole of Scripture. Yeah, and you just talked about it being unifying. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of sounds spiritual in a way it to does. say it. Um, and so that kind of brings me to a question of: is what is that contention between unity and doctrine? Mm-hmm. Uh, we see so much throughout the church of where doctrine is upheld by one church, doctrine is upheld by another church, and a lot of people can see that and be like, that is just not allowing unity to happen. Hmm. Um, so how do we approach that? Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked to, uh, in, I remember with uh, Will Leitner talking through the 
concept of denominations and why denominations might be important. I think one one of the places. Well, let me just I'll reference that for the sake of people's uh, further interest. If you want to know in what way God has used denominations, I think that's clearly kind of laid out. But the um, the concept is that unity uh, is at the expense of Christian doctrine, and so I would I would say. I would want for not only me, but also for um, followers of Christ at, at Christ Pres or, you know, many other Reformed churches, I would want us to think about um, holding our doctrines um, with all the weight and substance of authority of the authority of Scripture. Those are true, but it doesn't mean that I sacrifice um, warmth or kindness uh, to someone else. So it doesn't. I'm not actually breaking fellowship because I'm a jerk. I'm breaking fellowship because uh, if we have a doctrine that veers, where uh, some others who might um, claim the name of Christ might might say or think uh, that Jesus is not the only way of salvation, that's a that's a pretty stark point wherein we might need to uh, to say, okay, you're in a you're in a different camp theologically than what where uh, we are. More than that, uh, we wouldn't break fellowship over cent- what we think of as central issues, and those are those are the Christ-centered things of, of the Bible, right? We wouldn't break fellowship over um, that Jesus is the only way, that he sacrificed to pay for sins, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he's ascended to heaven, that he's still serving as a high priest in a very real sense, that my sins really are washed away and forgiven. We wouldn't... Um, those are all central things. I wouldn't break fellowship with somebody over baptism. I wouldn't break fellowship with somebody over the doctrine of predestination or election. Um, so, but I would, you know, I think that it's a false dichotomy to say that we must hold unity at the expense of Christian doctrine. In church history, every time unity and and Christian doctrine have been held in a careful tension. You have uh, healthy results, but when you when anytime you say, "Well, we must die on the hill of unity," uh, then oftentimes truth is washed away. When you say, "I must die on the hill of Christian doctrine," then we end up arguing about very minuscule things that really do hurt the unity, and that that can be true not just in uh, like the broader capital C church. It can be true in the PCA. It can even be true in a local church, right? Where some people, well, we homeschool and this is the way that we think it's the right way to do it. Or, well, we only send our kids to Christian school or, um, you know, and somebody else has a real strong view about um, public education. And you have all kinds of things for which even at the local level, people can break fellowship. But anytime you hold those two as if you've got to, Live for one and die for the other. Live for unity, die for doctrine. Live for doctrine, die for unity. Then uh, you're you're ending up in a very disruptive and unhealthy place. Yeah, and like you said, I can see that definitely be a false gospel because to to hold unity or doctrine at the utmost and the other at the lowest most, Mm -hmm. then what we're doing is we're really taking Christ's name out of the picture. Yeah, Um, that's right. And that's all, that's what the entire gospel is about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that was good. I, I see kind of multiple ways where, um, this false gospel um, is expounded one in in unity, like we just talked about. But another, I see it in like I've heard people tell me that that God is so mysterious mm-hmm. that we simply cannot understand Him, even in His revealed Scripture. Mm. So, how do we approach that as believers? 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting um, thought, and, and certainly it has some roots in, in things which are true, right? There's, uh, there's things in the Bible which are mysterious. They're hard to understand. Um, and sometimes uh, it is, like I think about trying to explain to someone how the Bible holds intention, predestination, right? That God has predestined some to eternal life, and also that there's this doctrine of free will, um, and you go, well, you really are responsible to embrace Christ as your Savior. Um, I, I can't give you the precise line in um, eternity wherein God's sovereignty and human responsibility cross. I can't give you that line as if it were a, a spot on a graph. So the, the Bible does hold mysteries like that. Um, but it's important, I think, for us as Christians to say that the Bible really is clear on the things which it intends to communicate with clarity. And it actually tends, it intends to be mysterious on the things which are intended to be mysterious. So even last week, I, um, when I preached from Exodus, we were uh, chapter 24, Moses is up on Mount Sinai, the people, 70 elders go up with him, and, it, and the Bible says that they they saw God. Um and yet that conflicts with other places in Scripture where you know, no one can see the face of God. No one's ever seen God. Um, but what you notice in that context was the very the very best that they can describe of what they saw is the pavement underneath his feet. So here's a place where the Bible wants to hold us in a, in a very clear mystery. Did they see God face to face? No. Um, if all they can give us by way of description is, that the pavement underneath the feet of God was like sapphire, clear. Um, that's actually uh, accommodating to our sensibility. Oh, okay, well, we can think about this and recognize that there was a near presence to God, but the Bible has no intention of unraveling the mystery of God's face in that text, right? But it's willing for us to hold that as a, as a mystery. So I say that simply for this reason. Um, one of the ways that we understand how we know what we know from the scriptures is by staying close to the text. And so the phrase, you know, God's too mysterious for us to really know all of these things definitively is actually a um, kind of a 60,000 foot view. I'm away from the text, but the closer I get to the actual Bible and sit under systematic expository preaching, uh, we have to acknowledge there really is a single um, revealed truth in the Bible. And so it, it is not as if all things are so mysterious that they cannot be touched. It certainly is true that some things are, but um, it's not mysterious. I mean, excuse me, it's not um, what you might say arrogant or prideful to say, well, clearly the Bible here has revealed, you know, I think about um, so many things in the scripture which are which are abundantly clear. And I've referenced the, the concept of what's called perspicuity. Uh, in the scriptures, this is a, it's called, it's the see-throughableness of the Bible, which basically says that, that that which must be known for salvation can be known. And it's, it can be perceived by people who are educated or uneducated. The central truths can be known. So we want to be very careful if somebody was to say doctrine is dangerous and, and God's just too mysterious for us to understand. Um, strangely, he gave us a book. Um, and he gave us a book so that we would move towards him. 
And that which is mysterious and unknown doesn't have to remain a massive question mark in our minds. So we move towards the scripture. We spend more time in it, unraveling it, unpacking it, and, and learning there. Um, does that make sense? That, yeah, that does. I do get from what you just said, uh, it's kind of the other way I commonly hear this false gospel. Yeah, yeah. Um, less so about God being too mysterious, but more so about us um, and our interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. Can we have an interpretation of the Bible and stand by that interpretation? And would that be arrogant or prideful to do so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a it's a great question. I mean, that's going to lead us to a lot of places, isn't it? If uh, you have to begin with the concept, um, if you're saying that you know my interpretation or your interpretation might be faulty and and it and it's potentially arrogant to to have an interpretation, then you're actually on the ground of saying, okay, then are you good with everybody having an interpretation with the Bible so long as Nobody holds it in a manner that's too firmly. Um, uh, is that is that what we're saying? So if we're, I think you know, if doctrine's dangerous, and we might be accused of being arrogant to say there is a single, or that mind, I've got an interpretation to the scriptures. I, I would back up and say, let me ask you something real quickly. Uh, do you believe there is one interpretation to the Bible, or do you believe there really are many interpretations to the Bible? And if you say there are many interpretations to the Bible then everything's on the table, right? Jesus may or may not be the way, the truth, and the life. Um, I, I reference John 14, 6 there. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's actually super plain. It's actually very clear, isn't it? And so if someone believes that it's arrogant for me to interpret Jesus as saying he's the way, the truth, and the life, no one can, is going to come to the Father except through him, um, the bigger question I think that needs to be asked, are you, do you have a problem with me, uh, holding that I believe what Jesus says here? Or do you have a problem that Jesus says this? My point is this, um, what we really believe concerning the Bible, and I say me, Christ Perez, our denomination, is that there really is one biblical interpretation to the scriptures. Not everything might be crystal clear to us. But there really is just one interpretation that's true and right. Now, um, I am I'm not going to want to uh, tussle with somebody over over some things that are secondary or tertiary. Uh, but the things which you know, again, we come back to the place the things which really can be known. Uh, we're not. It's not arrogant to to say when Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life, he really is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one really does come to the Father except through him. Um, moreover, you know, um, Ephesians 2, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's a gift of God, not of your own work, so that no one may boast. Uh, is it arrogant for me then to say, well, uh, it's fairly clear that Jesus is, I mean, that, that Paul's saying there is no place for my works and me boasting or isn't that just so simply obvious and it comes back again to the issue of this when i step far away from the bible it sounds very pious to go well it's arrogant for you to have an interpretation that you hold in opposition to mine Uh, my point would be well then you've got an interpretation of the bible that you're holding in in opposition to mine first of all 
But the answer to the solution to this is actually then don't stand at a 60,000 foot view, move in towards the scriptures and see if it does not internally testify to its own authority and its own clarity. Yeah. Um, And a question that I kind of think of and I think other people might have when listening to this is, while that that is most definitely true for essential doctrines such as Christ being the only way, do we hold that same thought when we're talking about doctrines or talking about uh, things expounded from Scripture such as um, women preaching? You know, sure. just to take something controversial, not that we should have a discussion mm-hmm. based on whether a woman sure. can be a preacher or not, but putting that in here, something controversial, like where do we, how do we approach that mm-hmm. um, in our interpretation of that? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think, you know, even in the way you stated it, um, it is it is from a 10,000 foot view, right? I've he- I heard you say that women should not be preaching in the pulpit. Um, and... And so from that perspective, it sounds like that's just a um, that's just a thought that I've got. Right. Um, And so it would be helpful in a conversation like that to go, well, let's let's go to first Timothy, chapter two, verse 12, where Paul says, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Uh, Rather, she's to remain quiet. Uh, Then I need to know, do you actually disagree with me that Paul says that? Um, And there may be a ton of variety of things. And people may say, well, yeah, I think that was added later. Or they may, um, they may say, no, Paul said that, but that's the kind of chauvinist he was. Right. Um, and <laughs> you're gonna have a lot of problem with that. If, if, um, if you believe that Paul is a chauvinist because, um, everywhere else in the new Testament, both Paul and Jesus elevate women to a place that didn't really exist in the ancient world. And so you might think he's a chauvinist based on 2022 in the United States of America and your view on things. Um, But that would be an inappropriate way to evaluate Paul out of context. Um, Rather, I think the the better thing to to do would be to go, well, okay, the scripture clearly does say that. Um, The answer that I've often heard by way of comment is, yes, but that's that's old. and And the ways that the Bible applies changes. Um, and that we may really have a true marked difference. I re- I recall having a conversation um, with a an Episcopal priest over this particular issue, and she said to me that, you know, the Eric, I, I can see that the real distinct difference in where you are and where I am is that you don't believe that the Bible changes, that the application of the Scripture changes. Um, and I said, well, I believe the application of the Scripture can change in it in different contexts. But the truth of what's said does not change at all. And she was, um, she, in her kind of theological training, had elevated our ability to interpret and apply it to our context, which actually had a the effect of pulling her away from what the Bible actually said um, and putting us in the, us, the reader, in the driver's seat, which gets us back to the issue of interpretation. Yeah, I have. A, I was just thinking as you were saying that. I don't have it right in front of me, so I'm going to botch the quote. <laughs> but uh, G.K. Chesterton talks about this in his book, Orthodoxy. He talks about how trying it, uh, to arrive at a uh, unique and an original philosophy, he realized that he was uh, 20 centuries too late. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a great – I mean, and I think that's the nature of of modern arrogance. There's a 
Anytime you begin to study the Bible, you realize that there is a modern arrogance that exists or postmodern arrogance, and that is that um, that I'm coming to the Bible with the, the appropriate and correct lens. Um, you wouldn't do that with it. Like if I was to ask somebody in, uh, in structural engineering to, to bring their own interpretation um, to the concept of bridge building, I mean, we're not going to be able to uphold bridges, right? So the problem is that nobody believes that the Bible is an absolute. Um, and so uh, I, I think in the in the conversation that I had with this um, Episcopal priest, it ended like this. I said, okay, well, that makes a lot of sense why you would arrive at the conclusions you arrive at. You, you at least need to understand that the reason I arrive at the conclusions I arrive at is not because uh, I've developed some random interpretation. It's actually just simply because I'm reading this on the pages of the Bible and that's what it says. Um, so your discussion then is not with me for having gotten it wrong. It's really in you actually believe that you can take what's here and move it in a direction that's different. And I'm simply saying I can't move it in a direction that's different from what it says. Yeah. Um, a good quote from that is by Spurgeon. He says, God gave me this great book to preach from, and if he has put anything in it you think is not fit, go and complain to him, not to me. I am simply a servant, and if his errand that I am to tell is objectionable, I cannot help it. Let me tell you, the reason why many of our churches are declining is just because this doctrine has not been preached. Mm. Yeah, the, the I, I suspect the context of that quote would tell us a lot about how he, what he was facing in his day. But anytime you walk through the Bible— the fascinating thing about it is it actually takes us to, to places that we would not come to on our own. And so everything you come through, come to as you come across the pages of Scripture, um, it is it, the Bible is willing to speak on things that we would never be willing to speak on. But you have to get close to it uh, and you have to sit under it and around it in order to get to the, to come to the conclusion that it gets to speak. And it's not me over here interpreting it. It's actually letting the Bible speak for itself. Um, and so going back to the heart of this, can doctrine be dangerous? Um, um, I think the, the heart of this is to presume that doctrine uh, is different from biblical truth. And we need to be really those who kind of hold to the fact that uh, it would be a false gospel to say that doctrine is something wholly other than biblical truth. Because if you if you don't hold to that, you're really going to lose the most central things, this, the most central teachings of Scripture. Um, and so I think it's helpful to hold our tone carefully and, and with kindness, but also to be willing to acknowledge where we differ on things. Um, it, it, we don't want it to be because we're um, simply being dogmatic Dogmatic has a negative connotation in our day. Uh, it didn't previously. It just meant that which is true. So you're holding that which is true. And so uh, to be dogmatic today is to is to hold something that's true, but you're also kind of a jerk. <laughs> um, but biblically, we just need to acknowledge there's things that the Bible says that are true. And for me to affirm those doesn't mean I'm a jerk. It's actually just saying I, I really believe what the Bible says here. Um, there's actually, I think there's 10,000 other ways that this could be discussed and, uh, might leave it to some of our listeners to think through what that might look like and how they might encounter that. Yeah. Well, I think that was awesome. Thank you, Pastor Eric. Yeah. Thanks for the question. I appreciate it so much. 
Thank you for listening. <laughs>